it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. On tomorrow's show, we've got Dan Lanning, Oregon football coach. He'll be on with us. Also tomorrow, Eric Reveno, Oregon State uh, men's basketball assistant coach and a guy who's coached in the ACC. I'm going to ask him uh, kind of what he thinks about uh, what's going on in college athletics uh, as uh, as a whole. Uh, Nike, always an interesting uh, character and uh, company in our footprint. Demi Lawrence is a reporter who does a fantastic job on behalf of the Portland Business Journal, covering sports and business. Demi joining us now to talk about Nike and some other things. Thanks for making time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, John. Give me an idea with this Nike story. Um, you know, what is it rooted in? Why does this become a lawsuit? How does this end up crossing your radar? Yeah, so uh, about in 2018 is when the lawsuit was filed uh, on sexual harassment and pay inequity allegations. This was around the time we saw some stories from the Wall Street Journal and other outlets like that coming up about Nike's workplace culture, uh, someplace calling it a boys club and things like that. Uh, came up on my radar because uh, I cover all of the footwear apparel companies here in Portland. So this was a major lawsuit that when I came on uh, about a year and a half ago to the Business Journal, that was just kind of the bread and butter of what the position would be covering, a big part of it. Uh, and, yeah, it's been ongoing since then, a bunch of twists and turns. And the latest uh, filing that I reported on today was about uh, media groups, including my paper, the Portland Business Journal, and a couple others, intervening uh, on the lawsuit to get some more information that Nike was uh, protecting under its uh, sealed protective order. Uh, ultimately, the filing that came out today was from Nike's lawyers uh, saying various reasons why they don't believe that additional information uh, should be uh, you know, taken out of the seal. Yeah, basically, they don't want this unsealed. They would like to keep it private. I, give me an idea, because I do know some people who worked at Nike, and I noticed that there was sort of this exodus of women who were vice presidents or leading divisions who were kind of leaving the company. And are we talking about a cultural issue at Nike as this lawsuit uh, pertains to, or is it just a few bad actors? What are we talking about? Well, John, I guess it depends on who you ask, right? But if you know you're if you're talking about both sides, there are kind of several sides to this. Uh, Nike says they don't want this additional information, uh, which mostly consists of the names of some of the folks who were involved, whether they were alleged assailants or alleged victims. Uh, they don't want those names to be made public. They say for privacy reasons. You know, in the filing, they use the uh, the term media circus they don't want it to just become this big thing where these folks dirty laundry for lack of a better term is just aired out to the public if it turns out from you know the legal proceedings that these allegations are false now if you were to ask the people who are on the side of these women who have filed this lawsuit you know it could be argued that nike wants to protect these alleged assailants uh if it was proven that they ended up doing some of the things that that are alleged but it, it is in terms of culture um you know, there was a uh, filing for class action certification, uh, which definitely shows that the plaintiffs think that it's more than a few bad apples. Uh, that class certification was denied and that denial was upheld. But I do know the plaintiffs plan to appeal that. But I don't think that'll be coming anytime soon. So 
I do think it is a culture issue uh, just from, A, as long as it's gone on, and B, from all the things that I've heard from a bunch of different people uh, about working there and about being a woman there. But, again, it really depends on who you ask. Demi Lawrence is with us, Portland Business Journal. Are are any of the people speaking out yet, or is the, the lawsuit kind of uh, moving along behind the scenes with without you know some of the uh, the the people who were, I guess, uh, offended or um, you know who were singled out or maybe um, oppressed at Nike uh, speaking publicly, or is it just a lawsuit at this point? It's mostly just a lawsuit at this point, and I think that's because it's just gone on for so long. Like I said, you know, it was 2018 when it was filed. We're now in 2023 with Mm -hmm. really no end in sight. So, you know, for the protection of the lawsuit and for the folks involved, not a lot of people are speaking out, which is totally understandable. But back in 2017 and 2018, when this really was, uh, you know, dug up and brought into the central face, uh, there was a lot of people speaking out about it, um, but whether or not people choose to do that now, again, the class action certification denial kind of throws a wrench into some things as to whether or not folks choose to speak out on their behalf because beforehand, you know, oh, they could be part of the class action. But with that kind of uh, not necessarily in the forefront anymore, uh, those things are kind of uh, muddied a bit. Media circus. I just love that that's thrown out there. Like, you know, it would be such a circus to to find out, you know, some of the stuff that went on behind the scenes. We're talking to Demi Lawrence, Portland Business Journal. Uh, give me an idea. What What's the next step in this lawsuit? Oh, gosh, there's so many next steps because we have so many moving parts, right? Of course, you have the plaintiffs and defendants, but you also have the media interveners who are also on this case. So right now, based on the filing that came yesterday, uh, we are waiting on the judge ruling on this renewed motion for an intervention from the media companies. And again, that was filed because Nike wanted to keep some things under seal that these media companies, including mine, believed uh, needed to be made public. And so we're going to wait on the judge's ruling on that. Uh, We're also waiting, like I said, for class certification appeal. Um, I've spoken to the lawyers for the plaintiffs. They've said they plan to appeal, but there's really no uh, knowledge on when that's going to happen um, and not really any knowledge on when it's going to be heard. But because of how long this has gone on and what I have talked to with the lawyers for the plaintiffs, they remain confident. That's why they keep going uh, with this case. So really, it's kind of a lot of moving parts. And right now, we're just kind of waiting for uh, the judge to rule on what they think is best as far as immediate intervention and then possibly class certification to come much later down the road. Great stuff. Great work on that. We'll continue to check in with you. I want to pivot a little bit to another story you've worked on. It's sort of the relationship with the thorns and the public, public trust, uh, everything that we have uh, learned in the last couple of years about the environment with the thorns, the coach and, um, you know, the ownership situation with Merritt Paulson. Um, what happens on the thorn side? They're trying to rebuild some trust with the public. How are their efforts stacking up in your mind? Yeah, I'm so glad you wanted to talk about this because this has been a story that's important to my heart. You know, I was born and raised a female athlete. I played softball my entire life as a kid, so my near, my heart is near and dear to this. And as far as where things are at with the thorns and the efforts that have been made to rebuild trust, I did a cover story of a few months ago about this. And what I really found from it was that the efforts on the thorns, I think, are really there, and they mostly align with what best practice says. Um, I spoke with somebody who works with these kinds of situations where, you know, there needs to be trust rebuilt between an organization and the public. And and I spoke with a guy who works on that and kind of told him what the thorns were doing, some of the things they're doing. They hold a lot of team and fan forums to discuss certain topics, you know, whether that topic be about 
rebuilding the trust we're talking about here or just generally about the season, right? And it also helps that um, Merritt has said that he plans on selling the Thorns. I've been told that that sell is imminent by the end of the year. Uh, they put together an accountability website, which, albeit hasn't been updated since October of last year. Fans are a little bit upset about that, but it does detail all the things that they have done, uh, which includes hiring a VP of Community and Social Impact. Uh, Dr. Beavers has been with the Thorns, I think, for most of this year, uh, working with a local firm, workplace change to do organizational assessments, new player and fan feedback mechanisms, new ways for fans and the players to really tell the club how they feel or if there's any concerns they need to raise. And so the efforts are really there. Um, I just think the issue lies in communication. I just really think that because a lot of these issues stem back to Paul Riley uh, many, many years ago. That some of these issues for folks within the thorns are old, uh, whereas these issues for the public are only as of knowledge of the last few years, specifically as of last October when we got the Yates report. So I think there's just not necessarily communication to fans there as to what they're doing. I think maybe they just expect fans to take it at face value. When what I'm hearing from fans and best practice is that these organizations need to communicate effectively exactly what they're doing, how they're doing it, and keep fans updated. And that's just something that, unfortunately, I don't think is happening, even though they are doing the work that best practice says they should. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see, you know, as the as the Timbers make a personnel move with their coach, Giovanni Sabarisi, right. Merritt Paulson's quoted in the news release, and I kind of went, ooh, like, you know, how is that going to be received? And so as much as the Timbers and the Thorns want to separate these entities, I still think people see Merritt Paulson involved in, and look at it and go, ooh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure how I should feel about this. Yeah, well, let's be very clear that Paulson still owns the Timbers and doesn't have intent to – he hasn't expressed intent up to this point to let that go, only the Thorns. So still at that point, uh, you know – He's still involved at that point. And so, you know, it's interesting because the Timbers and the Thorns do have similar fan bases. They're essentially the same, different sides of the same coin. And so I think it's a great question to ask kind of how that relationship is going to go um, and, and personnel changes specifically with the Timbers. Uh, it's just a very interesting time for the club as a whole uh, because, yes, they're two different teams, but they play on the same field. They're organized under the same umbrella. And what happens to one doesn't turn effect to another. Tammy, I really appreciate your work. I appreciate you spending some time with us. We'd love to get you back on as things develop. Demi Lawrence, uh, Portland Business Journal. Thank you. Thank you. There she goes. Good stuff. Um, just rich. Good reporter doing good work uh, You know, for the Portland Business Journal on the sports business beat. I'd love to get her back on and talk to her more as this stuff develops. Nike certainly has some questions it needs to answer. Uh, I find it interesting that they are expending so much effort and energy to try to try to keep names out of the public i don't believe for a second that they're trying to protect um the uh the people who uh have uh, essentially been whistleblowers i i think they're trying to protect executives uh secondarily uh timbers and the thorns long long road when you're trying to rebuild trust with the public and i think it's going to take time and it's going to take consistency and it's going to take uh, the organization being as transparent as it possibly can, both organizations, in order for people to go, okay, it's all right, I can trust this, I can feel good about wearing these jerseys and being at games. Coming up, our big splash. Leave it here. I've got a whole bunch of guests who want on the show, and I'm trying to figure out, this is kind of like Grand Central Station. We've got Josh Newman, covers Utah football, coming up top of the hour, 4 o'clock, to talk about 
Pac-12 football season, where Utah's mindset is, will Cam Rising be the starter, all of that stuff at 4 o'clock. 424 will be John Papadakis, former USC football player, team captain, uh, Tony Bennett-like crooner, restaurateur, booster. He's a guy who played at the Pac-12 years and years and years ago. It's probably the Pac-8 back when Papadakis was playing, and he's the father of Petros Papadakis, the broadcaster on FS1. He's always a great guest, a lot of fun, 424, be here. Now, I just got a note, DJ Uyengalele wants on the show. Um, I'm trying to fit him in, possibly in the 5 o'clock hour today. If DJ makes the 5 o'clock hour, he will join us. Otherwise, DJ likely on tomorrow's show along with Dan Lanning, University of Oregon coach, on tomorrow's show, along with Eric Reveno, the uh, basketball assistant coach at Oregon State, on tomorrow's show, along with Nick Carlin Voigt, University of Portland men's soccer coach, on tomorrow's show. We got a whole bunch of interviews that we got to clear, but here's my thing, guys. Like I don't like to do interviews just to do interviews. Every single one of these interviews that I... Uh, that I have coming down the pipeline on the show, um, I really want to do all these interviews. Are we okay having that many interviews on the show in the next two days? Well, I think, yeah, because it's the it's the quality of guests. If it was just, you know, if it was just quantity over quality, I'd push back on you a little bit. But, like, all these people that you're having on, like, they have important stories to tell or, like, it's an important thing to hear that's coming up soon. So... I'm fine with it. I'm fine with having these type of guests on because it's just the quality of them, John. We, we don't need quali- quantity. We need quality. I also want to give away some Mariners tickets. We will uh, uh, give those away on today's show. Um, shall we give them away maybe in the uh, 4 o'clock hour? That would be a good time to give them away. I want to ask Judah. Judah, are you okay with all these interviews? Is the podcast team going to be okay, like churning out a whole bunch of podcasted interviews? DJ Uangalele, uh, Dan Lanning. Uh, you know, the the Utah football beat reporter, John Papadakis singing some Tony Bennett, Eric Reveno blasting the NCAA on tomorrow's show. Um, you know, all of that. Are we going to be OK uh, podcasting all that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing big, fa- uh, big smiles on the uh, the interns around here. They they live for this. <laughs> Extra, they live work. For this. <laughs> Extra work. Extra yeah. work. Uh, more podcasts. It's the best. Um, no, Stephen's right, though. The, the quality, the, the time of the year, it all fits. Anthony Gold, Oregon State wide receiver, he wants on next week. He's going to be our Jamba athlete every week that we bring on to talk about the season, and he'll be our guy. And, again, we've gone from Jaquiz Rogers to Sean Mannion to um, Isaiah Hodgins to Jaden Grant and Jack Coletto, and we've just continued to have Oregon State football players who want to do that Jamba interview every week. And thanks for Steve and the team at Jamba for sponsoring that. But – should be really good. I'll have I'll have an answer back from DJ shortly. Can I just named, say, yeah. last night I literally had a dream. DJ Uyunglele on a play-action deep ball to Anthony Gould for like a 70-yard touchdown. Brought to you by Jamba. Brought to you by Jamba. <laughs> that is going to happen at least eight times this year. Book it. Like that. Yeah. That's, that's the offense. They're going to be so good at running the ball, and then whenever they want... They can lift the lid with DJ to Gould. It's going to be awesome. Gould can run. Yeah, fly. He can fly. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to at Oregon, though, too, Troy Franklin and Bo Nix. That's going to be a thing. It will. It, it, it will. That week two game. 
I was talking to Steven about it today. It's going to take a lot for me not to pick Texas Tech. They're they're a good team. That's like a seven-win team playing at home in the Big 12 footprint. I think it's more than than seven. You think so? Yeah. And Oregon's got... uh, Oregon's got, you know, no proof of performance on the road. Do you think Oregon will be a favorite in that game? We were literally just talking about this because the betting lines come down to Oregon minus three right now. And I was just telling Steven, I was like, do you think by the time the game kicks off, will Oregon still be favored? I don't think they will. I think Texas, I think that line swings through zero. And by the time everybody realizes the caliber of opponent Texas Tech is, they are going to be the home favorite by the, mm. by the time that game comes Well, up. the question I have is because there are questions with Will Stein. I know that he's a very smart, young offensive coordinator, but is there anything from the Portland State game that we're going to learn from the no. offense, from the offensive coordinator? Because if not, which I don't think there is, I don't think you think that there is, like the first example we're going to see is in a road environment in Lubbock, Texas against a solid Big 12 team. That's your that's your debut. Is that performance it's going to be a tough one. Like that is a tough performance. Texas Tech a really big defensive line like bigger than Georgia. Like it's going to be a tough matchup and to have no performance proof of performance going into that game. I don't know. I'm going to have some questions about it. They're over under Texas Tech is seven and a half wins. I'm going to go under. I think that's a seven win team. I think Oregon gets them in Lubbock. I, I don't think it's easy. I think it could be a hell of a game. I'd feel better if I felt better about Tosh Lapoy and the Oregon D coordinator. I don't think the questions for Oregon this season are at all on the offensive side of the ball. I think as long as you've got Bo Nix healthy, I think Oregon's got a guy. You know, offensively, it's Bucky Irving. It's it's a stable of receivers. It's tight ends. It's Bo Nix slinging the ball around the around the stadium. I just I think Will Stein. Probably not fair to Will Stein, but I think you put Stephen Vaughn in that position, calling the plays, and I think Bo Nix is like, I got this. Well, I have played a lot of Madden, so I mean, <laughs> a little question. I'll push back just slightly. Doesn't that discount how good Kenny Dillingham was? I don't know if like I'm looking at the end of the game, and I thought at the end of the season last year, Dillingham checked out. Okay, clearly checked out. Was on his way to Arizona State. Holiday Bowl gets played. Bo Nix is calling the plays down the stretch, or at least has the approval. And the more I talked to Dillingham last year in the second half, I kind of wondered how much of the offense was Dillingham calling a play and then Bo Nix getting out to the line of scrimmage and making sure it was the right play or changing it. And I think that happened more frequently than not. And I think Dillingham was fine. I think Will Stein's fine. But I think when you give any coordinator is worth a damn a really good quarterback, they're going to look really good. And so I just I feel like offensively Oregon's going to be all right. I'm not worried about them, but I have Texas Tech to be like fifth in the Big Twelve, sixth, right in there with Baylor and UCF, kind of in the middle of the pack. And you know, it, they're they're not they're not Texas, they're uh, they're not Oklahoma, they're not Kansas State. They're in that next group. Maybe maybe not even TCU. I think TCU is going to finish in front of them. But I think Texas, I mean, a tough environment, tough to go on the road in college football. And questions about Tosh Lapoy, the defensive coordinator. I don't think he ever adjusted last season. I was really puzzled last year when Washington showed up at Autzen Stadium and threw and threw and threw the ball and never ran, and Oregon never adjusted. And then I was puzzled equally at Research Stadium in the Civil War when, when Oregon State ran and ran and ran, and uh, Oregon never adjusted. 
And it was like there were no threat to run, no threat to pass, and there was no threat to adjust. And so I need to see that. And you're not you're right, you're not gonna get it in the Portland State game. I don't even know who Texas Tech is opening with. You know, I don't know if uh, we're gonna learn anything at, about them. At Wyoming. Okay, yeah. so they're one and oh. But at least, but at least it's a it's a test game where you have to go on the road and play a little bit. They were eight and five. They were five and four in conference last season. Um, and you're right. You they're, they're picked fourth in the Big 12 this They're year. picked fourth? Yeah, in the media pool. I bet you I don't even think they're going to get there. I think they'll be about fifth or sixth. <laughs> Add Lubbock to the list of Tulsa and Tampa. I'll be in, and, I'll be in Lubbock. And all of John's favorite places <laughs> on boarded Earth. boarded up old town in Texas. <laughs> you know? How many, how many different trains do I need to get on to get to Lubbock, Texas? <laughs> Am I getting there on a stagecoach or an Uber when I get off the uh, airplane? You know, like, <laughs> Uber, here, Uber we there he goes. Like there he goes. here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Shotgun. Get your cowboy hat ready. <laughs> get going. I'll have a cowboy hat like Coach Prime. All right, coming up, we're going to Salt Lake City. Who, who's going to play quarterback? How many games will Utah win this season? Who circled on the Utes' calendar? We'll find out. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.